0: In heaven, there's only gonna be one scarred person. You won't have any scars on you. I won't have any scars on me. But he'll still have nail prints in his hand, scars in his feet, and a scar in his side because he will remind you that your eternal destiny was tied to the scars I took for you on Calvary. And if you remember many years ago, there was a TV show called Early Edition. And that's where a man would get tomorrow's newspaper today. So he knew what was coming because he got the future given to him in advance. And so he knew what he needed to do in light of what the newspaper said tomorrow because he got it ahead of time. Prophecy is... God's newspaper telling you what's coming tomorrow so you have the information today. The Bible is the website. Jesus is the passcode. And if you really want to understand what's happening in our world and where we are going, prophecy, the predicting of the future, God can make no prophetic mistakes because of his perfection. The Bible is full of prophecies, things that were predicted in advance, including the birth of Jesus, the fact that Jesus would be born at Bethlehem, the fact that he would ride on a donkey on Palm Sunday, all of that is predicted 700 and more years in the Old Testament before it ever happened in the New Testament, because God is impeccably perfect in his prophetic pronouncements. So anything God says is going to happen, you can bank your bottom dollar, it is going to happen precisely as he said it would happen. So to ignore prophecy as given by God is to ignore the future. So the Bible is God's prophetic syllabus giving us an outline of things to come. And so today I would just like to survey the prophetic calendar. In Matthew 24, verse 3, the disciples asked a question. They said, what are the signs of your coming? What, what, what do we look to as a sign of your coming? Jesus then responded to them, and he said to them, He says in verse 6, You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened. For those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom in various places. There will be famines, which can be pestilences, and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. God will not give us a date and time of his arrival. But if you come back home to a city, to your city, whether it's Dallas or wherever you live, you will notice something. The closer you get to the city, the bigger the signs become. The bigger the signs become, let you know that you're getting closer to your destination. Jesus says that the signs that you are to look for are not only the conflicts, but the rumors that surround it and the scope of them. There will be nation against nation, and there will be rumor against rumor, and this will bubble up. He says, but it is not yet time. So let me start off by letting you know that I am not saying that what we are seeing today if is proof positive Jesus is coming tomorrow. What I am saying is it could be. I have said that there are one of two things happening today. Either Jesus is setting something up because the signs are so big because it involves the whole world because of the nuclear holocaust because COVID has affected the whole world so the whole world has been infected and affected by the things that are taking place that the signs clearly appear to be larger. So he could be on the verge of his return or he could be doing an international reset of how history works. Either way, it's still his story. He said, but when you see the signs, it is not time yet. Look at the signs, but it's not time yet. Something must be happening with the signs that tells us the signs, but that something else is going to happen first. So let's put up a prophetic calendar to use as our guide this morning as we look at the highlights of what we are to anticipate. Right now, you are in what the Bible calls the church age. It's called in uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 24, the times of the Gentiles. If you are a chess player, you know there's a clock. When you put the clock, that means you've made your move. You've now opened it up for your opposer to make their move. God had determined that Israel would bring in his program. They rejected Jesus. The Israel clock stopped. The church clock began. So we're in now the church age, the age between Pentecost and the rapture, where God has established his church, Jesus has established his church, people are being won to Christ, and those who accept Christ become part of this church age. The church age comes to a conclusion at the rapture. The reason why it is not the end yet is there is an event that will take place before the end time clock gets punched, and that event is called the rapture. Look with me at First Thessalonians chapter 4. At First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep so that you are not to grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Please notice verse 14. God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep, which means when you fall asleep, you're not in the grave. Because if he's going to bring you with him, that means you are with him. So the moment you die is the moment that you're translated up to be with the Lord and you come back with him. For this uh, we say to you by the word of the Lord, that's our authority, that we who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, that means rapture, together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and we shall for always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. The rapture is when Jesus Christ does not come back to earth, he comes back to the clouds and we are raptured up to meet him. If Jesus Christ were to come today, everyone in this house who has trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, would leave this place. If if I'm gone and you're still here, that's because you're not saved. So before this service is over, we want to give you an opportunity to do that. But we want to make sure that you are part of the rapture. We come, the the dead in Christ, those who've already gone ahead of us will come with him. Those who are dead will get new bodies, new glorified bodies, so the glorified bodies will meet the returning soul and spirit, and we will have our glorified existence. We who are alive will be changed. Everything wrong with you in the rapture will be made right immediately. Everybody will go back to the age of Adam and Eve when they were created in the garden. You'll get your hair back. Your scars will disappear. In 1 Corinthians 15, we read these words. Behold, I tell you a mystery. Verse 51 says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, let me tell you what the twinkle of an eye is. A twinkle of an eye is faster than a blink. It's the twitch of the eye. It's faster than a blink. You will be changed. And it says, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So the rapture takes place, boom, in a twinkling of an eye. All of those who are believers in Christ will be raptured up to meet the Lord. We will have reunion with those who have already gone before us. And we will be taken to heaven for the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ will take place while an event I'll talk about in a moment is taking place on earth. Where believers are given their rewards for their faithfulness to the Lord. Between the time of their conversion and the time of their death or the rapture. So what God will be looking at when he raptures us is how faithful were you as a follower of Christ. Faithfulness means consistency over time. It doesn't mean celebrating birthdays and anniversaries. It means day by day wanting to follow the Lord as a lifestyle and not as an occasional event. So we will all be changed. It's just like when a seed is planted in the ground, What comes out of the ground is a lot bigger and a lot better than the seed that was planted. When death takes place, the seed is planted. When the new body is raised, something greater than was put in the ground is coming out of the ground to meet the spirit and soul that comes back with him when he returns. So the rapture is... What Jesus offers the church, the reason we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, I'll talk about tribulation in a moment, is because the Bible says in First 1 Thessalonians 1.10, you and I have not been appointed unto wrath. And since the tribulation is the wrath of God and we've not been appointed unto wrath, and since these are signs, but something must happen first, the thing that happens first is the rapture so that the time of wrath can be installed and instigated. So we start off with the rapture. Those who have not been faithful at the judgment seat of Christ will be put in the penalty box. If you've ever watched hockey, you know that uh, there's a penalty box for those who have done infractions on the ice to no longer be full participants in uh, the game. In other words, heaven has differentiating differences based on faithfulness. Luke chapter 19 tells us that. So, we are here, the church age, the rapture. But when you are at a play, if you go on a Broadway or you play, you you hear rumblings behind the curtain. The curtain hadn't opened yet, but when you hear the noise, you know it should be soon. You watch an advertisement on TV and it simply says this movie is coming soon. They didn't give you a date, but that meant look and expect it. So we are to look and expect and live in expectation of the coming of the Lord. And the signs should up the amp of us looking for it because the signs just keep getting bigger. Which means we're closing in on the destination. When the rapture takes place, it inaugurates a seven-year event. That seven-year event is called the tribulation. This time of tribulation, it's called Jacob's trouble. It's called in 1 Thessalonians chapter five, now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness that it should overtake you. Christians, those who have accepted Christ are in the rapture. When the rapture happens, that opens up the day of the Lord. It's called the day of the Lord because now it's the day of man. You say, how can there be a God who allows all these tragedies, all these difficulties, all this pain, all this... Because today is the day of man and he has allowed man to do things based on their decision making once the rapture happens it is no longer the day of man it is now the day of the Lord and he is going to take over completely it is during this time of tribulation the seven year period prophesied in the book of Daniel it's called it's the 69th week leading to this this time of of, uh, international upheaval where God will intervene directly, Satan will be released to a full orb. Now, you think Satan is rough now. You haven't seen anything yet. Most of the book of Revelation is about this time of tribulation. This time of tribulation when there will be complete upheaval in the world. The tribulation revolves around a figure. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be all this conflict, and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde will show up. Yes. This will be an international figure who will purport to bring order to a world in chaos, yes. and his name is called the Antichrist. Yes. Turn with me to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, he wants us to know about this unique figure. Now we request you, brethren, verse 1, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken by your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The apostasy means a massive turning away from God. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction. So there is a man who does not keep rules, lawlessness, who will become manifested, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. So the Antichrist will display himself as deity. Do you not remember when I was still with you? I was telling you these things, and you know what restrains him now so that in his time, he will be revealed. In other words, we don't know who he is yet because he's being held back. He could be very much alive right now, but not yet revealed. He says, for the mystery of lawlessness, it's a secret, is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the world. Okay. When the Holy Spirit is removed, the restrainer, you and I are removed. That's the rapture. Because you and I are indwelt with the Holy Spirit if you've accepted Christ. The Holy Spirit is the restrainer. So when the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is removed and he indwells every believer, he takes the believers with Him in the rapture. When he takes the believers with him in the rapture, now the restrainer is gone. When the restrainer is gone, which means the saints who he indwells is gone with him, now the man of lawlessness will be revealed. So he could be very well here now if the rapture is going to happen soon, only waiting for the rapture to be made manifest because you can imagine when the rapture occurs, there's going to be chaos everywhere when Christians disappear. One easy way to see that is if you have a worldwide nuclear holocaust which creates havoc all over the world, the rapture happens at the same time, people are disappearing because the holocaust would do that, and now order needs to be brought to the whole world. So God has already set up ways where this could happen. Okay. So, he will then be revealed, this man of lawlessness. Then the lawless one, verse 8, will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one who is coming is in accord with the activity of Satan and with power and signs and wonders. Why will he be bleed? Because he's going to bring miracles with him. He's going to bring miracles with him. What Jesus is to, to God, the Antichrist is to Satan. Jesus is the incarnation of deity. The Antichrist is the incarnation of the devil. So that, that helps you to understand, by the way, um, if, if you'll look at Revelation chapter 13, Revelation chapter 13, um, you, you, you discover the unholy trinity. So we know about the holy trinity, but there's an unholy trinity, You've got, in verse 1, the dragon, which we're told in chapter 12 is the devil. Then you've got the beast in verse 1, and I saw a beast. And they worshiped, verse 4, the dragon, because he gave authority to the beast. So you've got three figures in chapter 13. You've got the dragon, the first beast, and the second beast, that is You've got Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. That explains verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. Six, six, six. Why is 666 important? That's a Trinitarian number, six and six and six. Six is the number of man. Man was created six. Man was created six. There will be a trinity that will deal with man. God, the trinity, wants to deal with man now. The devil, the trinity, the devil, the antichrist, the false prophet, that trinity will deal with men during the tribulation period. So it is the number of man or the number of the unholy trinity dealing with the human race during this period of time we call the tribulation period. But this is the Antichrist. And the Antichrist will bring havoc, verse 10, and with all deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. When you reject God, you open up to the devil. When you reject God's word, you open up to the devil. There are only two words, man's word and God's word. The question is, whose word are you going to believe? And the problem is, he will be so tricky with his miracles, tricky with his deception, that you're going to believe his word just because he looks like he's got some... Don't believe every spirit, the Bible says. Just because it's a miracle doesn't mean it came from God. This tribulation, this seven-year period divided in the two halves, the first half and the second half. The second half is called the Great Tribulation because that's when stuff gets worse. That's when you see the book of Revelation and feel free to read it. Uh, It will open up and you will see all hell break loose on earth, which is one of the reasons you want to try to win your family to Christ now so they don't have to go through this. Because if they're here, they're going to face this. And this will be death and destruction and because it's God now making his final stand. As we come to the end of the tribulation, this seven-year period, we come to an event that we all know, Armageddon. As we come to the end of the tribulation, we come to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now this is very interesting because the second coming of Christ coincides with the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon comes at the end of the tribulation. But we're given some information where things right now could be being set up for them because remember, there's only a seven-year gap. Let me take you back now to Ezekiel 38 because these end-time things were prophesied thousands of years In advance, and in Ezekiel 38, we have Gog and Magog. Gog is a man, Magog is a land. So Gog is the head of Magog. And the word of the Lord, verse 1, came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Gog and the land of Magog. He lists the number of other nations in verse 1 that will be associated with Gog, this man, and this land called Magog. Verse 15, you will come from your place out of the remote parts of the earth, you and many people with you, all of them riding on horses and a great assembly and a mighty army. So there is this army led by Gog. Chapter 39, verse two, and I will turn you around, drive you on to take you up from the remotest parts of the north and bring you against the mountain of Israel. We're told that Gog, who leads a land called Magog, is to the remotest part of the north of Israel. Well, there's only one nation to the remotest part of the north of Israel that goes to the Arctic Sea, and that's Russia. Russia is the remotest part from Israel on our map. So don't be surprised that you see this movement of Russia that makes its way through conflict. And here's what you want to look for even now, although it won't be fulfilled for at least seven years in its fullest expression. There will be a move that will bring the Middle East into the conflict. And the thing that will move Russia to bring the Middle East into the conflict is oil. You think you got high gas prices now? You ain't seen nothing yet. Oil will become the dominant issue. And with oil being the issue, and Middle East being in conflict with the oil-bearing nations, and Russia being uh, coming down from the north, there will be a coming together of the Middle East, of Europe, of Russia, and it says God is going to arrange for them to collect themselves Against Israel. He says, against the mountain of Israel. Now, this is a whole theology here. You can get the book, the best is yet to come to go into it. But Israel was chosen by God to bring in the living word and the written word. It would be the nation that would give birth to the Messiah, and the Ten Commandments would come out of that. The scriptures would be birthed through the Jews. So that became God that calls it the apple of his eye. So everything revolves around the place of Israel. When Jesus Christ comes back, he is coming back to Jerusalem. And he's coming back with us. Now let's talk about the second coming. Revelation 19, verse 11. I know I'm giving you a headache, but stick with me. Revelation 19, verse 11. Verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, many diadems, and he has a name written on him which uh, no one except, uh, knows no one except himself. He's clothed with a robe dripped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies, which are in heaven, that's you and me, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword, so that it it may strike down the nation's. And he will rule them with a rod of iron and tread the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the return of Jesus Christ. I like the way Matthew 24 puts it. That also describes his return because it says, verse 29, but immediately... After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds on the sky with power and great glory, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together the elect from the four winds and, uh, and one end of the sky to the other. So Jesus Christ is going to come back at the end of the tribulation with the saints who've already been raptured. When he comes back, According to Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, every eye will see him. In order for every eye to see him, this either has to be through technology, but if he came today, there are places that don't have technology that still exist. So how else, if he came right now and you don't have technology, can every eye see him? Simply by him looping around the sun. If he simply loops around the sun in his return, everybody will get to see this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know this sounds like a movie. I know this sounds like Star Wars. I know this sounds like, I don't know if I can buy all that. Okay, well, you just stay here and wait to see whether it's true. So Armageddon is when God will bring, I love back to Ezekiel 38, which describes this concept of, uh, of the coming of Armageddon, when he says that God is going to be the orchestrator of bringing the nations together to rebel against him. That none of this will happen without God's orchestration. Uh, uh, he says in Ezekiel chapter 38, uh, these words, he says, I will come on that day, verse 18, when God comes against the land of Israel, declares the Lord that my fury will mount up in my anger and in my zeal and in my blazing wrath, I declare on that day, there will surely be a great earthquake in the land of Israel. The fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the beasts of the field, the creeping things that creep, and all the men who are on the face of the earth will shake at my presence. Verse 21, I will call for the sword against him on all my mountains, declares the Lord. Verse 22, with pestilence, with blood, I will enter into judgment with him, and I will rain on him and on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, and on a torrential rain and, have, and hailstones and fire and brimstone and I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and make myself known in the sight of many nations and then they will know I am the Lord. They may not know it now. They may not believe it now. They may not acknowledge it now. But on that day, there will be no question because that's the day of the Lord. That's when I'm calling the shots. When Jesus Christ comes back, it sets up the millennium. Chapter 20, verse 1 of Revelation. Then I saw the angel come down from heaven, holding the keys of the abyss and the great chain. He laid hold of the dragon, that is, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. The millennium is a thousand. Bound him a thousand years, verse 3. Until the thousand years were completed, verse 4, and reigned with Christ for a thousand years verse 6 he says Uh, and will reign with him for a thousand years. A thousand, a thousand, a thousand. That means the millennium. When God created Adam, he created him to rule the earth as a man. God has never stopped that plan that the earth would be ruled by a man. But every time he chose a man, the man failed. So there was no man uh, to rule the earth who he could trust. So God became a man so he could trust a man to rule the earth. When Jesus Christ comes back, Jesus Christ will set up the millennial kingdom. And oh, what a kingdom it's going to be. I will let you in on some, I'll just give you a couple of passages. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11 tells you a little bit about this millennial 1,000 year reign of Christ. In Isaiah chapter 11, here's what he says, beginning with verse uh, 6. He says, uh, and the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them, and a cow and a bear will graze, and the young will lie down together. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw with the ox, and the nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put, uh, put his hand in the viper's den, and they will not be hurt. In other words, in 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 this utopia, in in this perfect environment, there will be nothing allowed to bring pain or hurt. The Bible says a child will be a child at 100 years of age. Now we know this is not heaven yet because it still talks about people dying. So we're not in heaven yet because in heaven nobody died. We're in the golden year of mankind when Jesus Christ will rule from Jerusalem and the Bible says he will rule with a rod of iron, which means there will be no rebellion allowed. Anything you're mad about, you better keep to yourself because there will be no rebellion allowed in his holy mountain as he rules. When the millennium comes to a completion, it leads... To the final courtroom of history, which is the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, we read these words beginning in verse 11. Revelation 20, beginning in verse 11. I'm going through a lot of pages here. So so the thousand years are completed in verse 7. Satan will be released from his prison. During the millennium, Satan is not allowed to, allow, to promote rebellion. And Jesus is ruling with Orion, uh, Orion, so there'll be no rebellion. But at the end of the millennium, it says, verse 7, the thousand years were completed, Satan was released, and he came to deceive the nations. Because people who harbored rejection about God in their hearts, when Satan shows up, will be allowed to release it to show what they've been harboring against God. When that happens, then verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and no place found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead in Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds." Then death and Hades was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here is the final courtroom in history where the final judge takes the white throne judgment. Please notice something. In the white throne judgment, people were judged on their deeds. People were judged on their deeds. Why are they judged on their deeds? They're judged on their deeds to determine their level of judgment in the same way believers at the judgment seat of Christ are judged for our level of reward. Let me try to illustrate it this way. Alcatraz is located in the San Francisco Bay. The San Francisco Bay, the reason you could not Escape Alcatraz, it was shark-infested waters. So you couldn't get to San Francisco without risking your life because of shark-infested waters in the San Francisco Bay. Alcatraz is in the San Francisco Bay. If you were assigned when Alcatraz was open, you were assigned to either maximum security, medium security, or minimum security, dependent on your crime. So if you had a, you were a real bad murderer, that's maximum security. If you had done a, a, a more of a medium kind of crime, that was medium or minimum. Now, you're in Alcatraz, but your level of judgment would vary based on your crime or the deed you did. Now, you were stuck there. Hell is placed in the lake of fire. It's not that the people are on fire, it's that the place they're located is surrounded by a lake that's on fire. So don't picture hell as a place with fire popping out of people's skin. It is an environment that is surrounded by flames, which means you can't escape. There are sharks in the water of fire that won't let you out. But everybody who goes to hell doesn't go there equally. Some are in maximum security, the bottomless pit, minimum security, and minimal security based on their deeds. So a good sinner is not judged at the same level as a bad sinner. A Hitler is not judged like a nice neighbor, even though both may have rejected Christ. Both are housed in a place they can't escape from, but they're not housed in the same level of judgment. And so we now in the millennium at the white throne judgment, and that leads us to eternity. Verse chapter 21 of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth passed away, the uncreation, and there is no, no longer any seed, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, the place where you and I will go when we, when we die or when we are raptured, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, this, uh, I didn't talk about it, but in chapter 19, verses 7 to 10, it talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is a 1,000-year party, which takes place in the millennium. But now we have been ushered into Eternity, the eternal state where we will forever be with the Lord, where the earth and the whole universe will be filled with his glory. I have left out so much stuff, but I want to conclude. I want to conclude my time with you in all seriousness by asking you to turn your Bibles to Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3. Notice this is a lot to take. This is just a survey, but I hope it gives you a timeline, a feel, a direction. This is now, beloved. Verse one: The second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind and way to remember. Verse three: Know for know this first of all. That in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lesson saying, where is the promise of his coming? My grandmother said he was coming. My great-grandmother said he was coming. My great-great-great-grandmother was uh, coming. I'm telling my kids he's coming. You know, I'm telling y'all he's coming. And he says, don't be surprised when folks show up and say, we ain't seen him yet. When they mock his coming, For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. There is no divine intervention. He says, when folk cause you or try to get you to to deny this prophetic calendar, he says, when they maintain this, verse five, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. He says, now when they tell you that everything's remained the same, they've forgotten something. Everything's not remaining the same because God destroyed the world with the flood during the time of Noah. When he got sick and tired of the way the world was going, he shut this mama down. So so, if you're tempted to doubt what he's going to do tomorrow, he said, you better go back and check what he did yesterday when he got to the point where he couldn't stand anymore his rejection. Then he says, but by his word, But by his word, verse 7, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape you, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years. And 1,000 years like one day. So Jesus died two days ago in the calendar of God. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away, roar; the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up, since all these things are to be destroyed. In this way, what sort of people are you to be in conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning, and the elements will melt with intense heat. What he says is all of this, all of this is predicated on one thing, whether God tells the truth. And if you believe God is telling the truth, he says, don't let this escape you. He is waiting on you. He's waiting on sinners to get saved and saints to get busy. He's waiting on sinners to come to Christ and saints to stop playing church. He's waiting on sinners to be forgiven and saints to do evangelism. He says, I'm waiting on you because he says all this stuff you're placing all your time on is going to be burnt up. Your car going to burn. Your house going to burn. Your money going to burn. Your clothes going to burn. It's all going to burn up. So don't act like you're going to permanently have anything. If you go to a junkyard, that stuff used to look good. But over time, it's not worth a thing. So don't let your attachment to earth cause you to lose sight of heaven. Don't let your commitment to history cause you to lose sight of eternity. When a woman is pregnant, she begins to paint her room and get her things together because she's expecting something you and I are to get ready because we're expecting someone we're waiting for the rapture we're waiting for the opportunity to be with the Lord and it's time now it's time now to get busy for the Lord and his kingdom I don't know what your life my life has been like but since we're still here we still have some time to make it right to get right with God, to get right with each other, and to get busy for the Lord. This is not a time to play Christians. This is not a time to just have it on your bumper sticker. This is a time to let it be known I'm a visible, verbal follower of Jesus Christ. I'm a kingdom disciple. I'm a representative of God. This is a time to get an act of kindness card. Do a good act of kindness and say, by the way, if you died today, do you know where you would spend eternity? And I've got some good news for you. The price has already been paid. I'm reminded of the story of the lady who was caught in a hailstorm and the hail was coming down and she was being hit with hail and it was so big she couldn't run to the house in time. A man saw her being uh, plummeted by the hail and he ran out and he covered her, and the hail just kept falling on the man. The lady said, true story, a little time later, whenever I see that man, I see scars on him. But I remember the scars are only on him because he covered me when the hail was coming after me. In heaven, there's only going to be one scarred person. You won't have any scars on you. I won't have any scars on me. But he'll still have nail prints in his hand, scars in his feet, and a scar in his side. Because he will remind you that your eternal destiny was tied to the scars I took for you on Calvary. So don't be too cute to be a Christian. Don't be too embarrassed to name Jesus Christ. Don't be too ashamed for people to know who you are. Because the word of God is true.